0: Uh, actually, pronounced something closer to Keshi. And that what? one. Yeah. So how
1: would anyone know that?
0: It's some sort of uh, Celtic or Gaelic language kind of thing, and so it's. Yeah. And since we're earnestly discussing pronunciations of Final Fantasy words. You, you must have accidentally fallen into the Big Bang Theory theory. Hi, I'm Nick. Yes,
1: I'm Kyle, talking about one of the only three things that we ever talk about on this show.
0: I, my, sorry my interests are so limited and narrow, I don't know.
1: No, I, I, I was the one who brought up the, the VV nightlight. <laughs> uh, did I imagine it, or at one point did, was Aerith Aeris, and somehow they went back and changed the end of her name to a TH sound.
0: Yeah, so apparently, I say apparently as if I haven't read about this in depth and know these things. Yeah, Aeris, when she came to the U.S. Final Fantasy VII version, was written Aeris, and so grew up with it being Aeris. But I guess that was itself a mistranslation, and it's supposed to be Aerith with the T-H, and it's been hard for me to adjust to, but... I do try to say Aerith, but I always just feel like I'm lisping the name Aerith. And I'm not going to lie, unrelated to playing that game or preparing for this podcast or um, being in this spontaneous conversation, I was thinking about that in the shower this morning. That's that's what my relaxed— You were
1: thinking about Aerith in the shower this morning?
0: The pronunciation issue. You
1: bastard. She's like your little sister in the game. Come on.
0: Well, she's the little, si- I mean, no, no, she's not. It's Cloud, he's got, he's got two sex friend options. It's not, I've got my horny friend and then I've got my totally virginal familial bond friend. No, it's, do I like the sassy one or the cute one? But there's no little sisterness about Aerith here.
1: and Or the ninja one.
0: The ninja one, but I they're think. But not,
1: they're not ever really shipped, are they?
0: The ninja one, to me, comes off as too young. That's enough of that shit. Hi everyone. In case it weren't obvious already, we're a big a couple of just d, d-, d- bag nerdos. and what we are
1: just like the characters on the show that we discuss.
0: Yeah, basically, and that we, was
1: that is basically the 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 libel that has been thrown against us, and we find ourselves increasingly incapable of defending ourselves from it.
0: Yeah, I mean, neither of us really want to admit it, but i mean the, the the last several minutes of conversation opening the episode being our our natural state of the conversation, I think prove that yeah, we are indistinguishable from these these jag offs on this television show and but but what we do well, on this this show before
1: is... I forget, just totally derailing your momentum there's a great Kotaku series that you might want to watch sometime that 's just all about how shitty the Final Fantasy seven translation actually is and how if you if you translate it more accurately, all sorts of hidden nuance opens up in the game. I don't care enough about Final Fantasy VII to watch something like that, but that seems like something you might be into. I
0: might not watch it, but I'm absolutely planning on playing a modded version of Final Fantasy VII that retranslates it and unlocks a lot of dummied-out content. So yes. that's how I will experience it. But yes, on this show, uh, we we earnestly talk about our nerd loves, and also talk about the television sitcom the big bang theory uh, we're currently in a little over halfway through season 4 and we uh we we pick it apart we we summarize it we we give our own thoughts and feelings on it and we we look at it not just as a a, sh- a show in in a void but also as a sh- as uh we look into how accurately it represents nerdos at large and so with that Kyle, I am prepared to do this week's uh, summary unless you have any other uh, sort of opening business you would like to cover.:
1: Well, I feel like because the the one person who was listening to this episode immediately after the last episode is probably wondering weren't we going to talk about Heil Hitler I'm home? This I was week? wondering
0: when to bring that up <laughs> so do we want to <laughs> just,
1: yeah, just to get it out of the way. we tried <laughs> turns out. There's a reason it didn't get picked up, not that it's horribly offensive, just that it is wildly and deeply unfunny in the slightest. Even more, so I will say this, think it's less funny than The Big Bang Theory, so that tells you something. Okay. Which I guess was kind of, to be fair, was sort of the question we set out to ask, like are we sure that The Big Bang Theory is actually the least funny sitcom that has ever been on television? It might it might be the least funny sitcom to get as many seasons as it did, but it's definitely not like the least the least funny sitcom to ever get you know make it to the pilot stage.
0: I feel like you are greatly hyperbolizing the the, the mission we went on. I do not remember us asking whether or not uh, the Big Bang Theory was the least funny sitcom ever, but I do think that we wanted to watch a sitcom that we knew was terrible, so we had. A bottom mark to measure it against and i think going forward we'll have to watch samples of other sitcoms so we know where uh the big bang theory places in the broader spectrum of of, of situational comedies which is something that might be fun for me just to do on my own anyway because i realize i haven't watched a lot of sitcoms and and so i just need to get my own feel for what my tastes are but since since you did bring up how honey i'm home um I, I want to give my thoughts on. I just watched it earlier today, and so Kyle, you warned me about how horribly unfunny it was, and that you you had to bail after five or ten minutes. I powered through and watched the entire episode yeah. and Though I will say it's not funny, I don't think it's nearly as unfunny as you had prepared me for give some Some background for anyone who didn't listen to last week's episode. Kyle and I were talking about where the Big Bang Theory sits uh, among other sitcoms and you know whether it's really any good or not compared and to... I and was,
1: I was going down a list of sitcoms on Wikipedia just to see if any of them jogged my memory as particularly good, bad, mediocre. And on that list was a show called Heil Honey, I'm Home, which immediately piqued my interest.
0: And the whole premise is that it's straight up... I guess, a parody. I don't know if this even counts as satire. Of
1: Yeah, I think the word is just mapping, right? Like yes, the, yes. The, the joke isn't necessarily that the sh- like the main humor in the episode has nothing to do with like the quality of the jokes. It's like, oh, look, these are all classic jokes you would find in a 1950s, 60s sitcom, The Honeymooners' I Love Lucy, but the, the, the guy, the working-class dude making fun of his sassy wife is the Fuhrer. That is exactly
0: it. And it's strange and in a way, I thought it was compelling, uh, even though still admittedly not that funny, how committed they are to that premise you just described. Because yeah, I I mean, it, I, it, I don't think it is 100% napping the honeymooners, but that's what I imagined it closest to. But again, I haven't seen a lot of sitcoms, so there's probably other classic sitcoms that I'm not thinking about. Um, but with that, the the jokes so the the whole co- the concept is you know mapping one of those sitcoms but it is the main characters in this show are uh, Adolf Hitler and Ava Brown they live in an apartment building in Berlin slash Brooklyn and their their next door neighbors are the uh, the the Goldensteins or Goldensteins. but th- this is the thing that I thought was in a way, a wasted opportunity, but also a relieving thing to not have happen, is that in spite of history's greatest monster living next to and befriending his his Jewish neighbors, none of the jokes are about what a monster Hitler is. There are no jokes about the Holocaust. There are no jokes about any of the, the various war crimes. Instead, Hitler, they try to portray him as... Just a real upper middle class working fella, and he's like, "Oh, I hope the boss doesn't get in. Uh, I don't I get in too much heat for invading Czechoslovakia. Oh, and and that's the thing is the, the the rest of the episode is the having the boss over for dinner episode, where the boss in this case is is Neville Chamberlain come to uh, present a peace treaty to to Hitler. Yeah,
1: it's funnier when you describe it than when you actually watch it
0: Yeah, it's that's the thing though is the, 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 Exactly like you already said, Kyle The jokes are 100% pulled from these old sitcoms And so when you laugh, it is just a recognition of the commitment to such tired old jokes Yeah, it's like, but, wow,
1: they really worked hard to date themselves this badly Yeah but I found the whole thing pretty charming. Like <laughs> it is, it's it is not funny.
0: But I do think, um, w- with the exception of Neville Chamberlain, actually does well. Not you know the actual Neville Chamberlain. That would be bananas. But yeah, an actor portraying Neville Chamberlain actually does show up for dinner, um, and he is this. He's like the goofy, fun-loving boss where uh it it turns out that that hitler wouldn't you know is being a little bit uptight and unreasonable <laughs> and uh, so so Neville is this fun-loving jokester, and he does uh, ask Hitler on the way—I <laughs> can't believe I'm describing this—on <laughs> the way into the apartment, he asks, what do you call a, bol- a polar bear with three balaclavas on? Anything you like, because he can't hear you anyway. And I laughed really loud at that. <laughs>
1: okay, I turned it off before I got to that. That's a pretty good joke. is. <laughs> so—
0: looking for maybe one of the worst sitcoms ever this this is a single episode airing and now i've i have i have that as background today as we explore the big bang theory i would recommend that other people go out and, and watch "Hil honey i'm home even if only to get a few minutes of it because once you get the joke you get the joke it doesn't really do any surprises but i would recommend examining it at least Um, Yes,
1: it might, it might mostly be like as a piece of, it's interesting as a piece of like meta comedy, right? It's like someone, because it wasn't, because the other thing about it is that it doesn't present itself as a straight sitcom on accident. It's like, no, this is a sitcom from the 1950s that got buried because everybody felt it was in poor taste at the time. But here in 1993, we have rediscovered it. So they are very, very committed to like this whole breaking the fourth wall. I mean, they would have to be, right? But I just, I wanted to make it clear that, like, it is, it is you know, it's, it's several steps, you know, outside the normal framing you get on a sitcom. Which I guess, it, hooray for being experimental, I guess?
0: I don't know what else to say about it. Because it's... Well, it's
1: funny because I, I started talking shit about it. Uh, but you sort of brought me around a little bit. Not enough to want to sit through the whole YouTube pilot, but as a piece of historical, as a piece of fiction that exists. I suppose it's an interesting thing that people should can be aware of.
0: Yeah, I really, I wish I could see where it, where it went beyond this episode, but we'll we'll never know. I'd, 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 well, I'll just sit were... here twiddling I'll... my fingers, waiting for it to enter the public domain.
1: Yeah, I, I'm. You know, I hear the uh, the 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 series finale got a little dark on that one.
0: Hey-o. what are they gonna do with season two? Anyway, <laughs> um, now we should actually talk about. ...the thing that we usually come here to do, which is to to pick apart the episode we saw today. And today's episode is Season 4, Episode 17, officially titled The Toast Derivation. And, boy, I I don't know if anything funny happened this week. A a lot of things happened character-esque-wise, but here are the basics. Sheldon and uh, Leonard are getting ready to go to Raj's from their apartment for pizza night, but Sheldon is not having any of it because he's like, we've had pizza night uh, this same day every week for the last eight years. We can't just change that. And Leonard's like, yeah, we can. Priya, Raj's sister, is over there, and I'm going to go make out with her and touch her butt. So you can either stay or you can go. Uh, And uh, after that little bit of bullying, Sheldon does go to Raj's. Uh, It is basically the same hangout they would ever have but it's a little bit more fun Sheldon can't handle it and he he busts out of there and so this is our our instigating event is is Sheldon can't handle the the variation to his regular good times and he goes to the cheesecake factory to to share his woes with Penny who's bartending Amy's like Amy video calls him is like hey you recognize of course that leonard is the nucleus of your friend group and that your good times completely orbit him and that if you're going to have good times without him you have to put that together yourself you have to you have to go into a new galaxy of friendship and so sheldon does exactly that it's one of these hangout nights he invites uh he he stays behind at the apartment and he invites over from previous episodes Every uh,
1: single recurring male character who has ever been on the show more than once.
0: Basically, yes. We've got uh, Kripke, the, the snarky professor with the speech impediment. Uh, we have Stuart, the sad comic book shop owner. And we have Zach, uh, Penny's ex, who is incredibly friendly and stupid. And they try to have fun together, and that's too much for Shelton. And he bails on that, too. Wah, 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 wah. And ultimately, uh, he resolves... To just try to have as good of a time with his friends as he can. Kind of accept that, you know, he can't have fun on his own terms all the time. And then also near the end of the episode, while all this is going on, Amy and Amy Farrah Fowler and Bernadette go after uh, Penny to be like, hey, you must be real broken up that Leonard's boning Priya and she's beautiful and it's going great. Penny's like, no, I really don't care. And they're like, well, we need to get your story getting back towards the forefront of this narrative. So we're gonna have a girl's night out. And that doesn't they do end up having the night out, but it's not part of the episode, and so you don't really see any effects of it. But it's so that it's it's like a B plot that starts three quarters of the way from the episode and then doesn't resolve. The only yeah, so,
1: oh. it, it, I started to say. We get to see Penny in a slinky dress. I half wondered if that was the only reason <laughs> that entire plotline existed. That's very
0: possible because there was a lot of buildup to it too. And, and so we, the end of this scene is um, them dragging Penny out and, and Bernard that saying one of the purposes of going out is to you know get some random hunk of meat to, to bring him home, do what you will with him, and then, and then send him off on his way with, with bite marks on his hiney. And I was like, Bernadette, you again are after oh, yeah. my heart.
1: And she was, she was like, boy, I could never imagine having that kind of pull. And I was like, really?
0: Yeah, the, the, the Bernadette's attractiveness thing doesn't make any sense. She, she's obviously very cute. And she doesn't have these, you could call them quirks. That's also, they use the the word quirk in this episode a few times, and the ultimate lesson is everyone's quirky. Just accept it. Bernadette doesn't have any of the obviously negative quirks. She seems like a perfectly functional social being who apparently likes cool sex stuff, but... The rest of the show is un- – like, they, they keep pretending she's not attractive. It's – I don't understand it. But anyway, that's the episode. Like, you know how it just kind of petered out and we didn't really resolve anything about the episode in my description of it? That's because it doesn't happen. It's – yeah. that's the episode. Womp womp.
1: Yeah, it, is, it literally – it gives you – because I did think – we're jumping around a lot in this episode. But you basically, you jump around to three different locations and you never see how any of those situations resolve.
0: No, no. It's – it's just like Sheldon, like, he's he's trying to learn how to survive outside of the traditional friend dynamic because he's not comfortable with where it's going. And that in itself, I think, is an interesting premise. And so then, you know, the next step is, well, what does Sheldon do about that? And we even get to see that. But then the lesson he learns is to not learn a lesson. Well, maybe it is, but he's like, well... Yet I, no one's going to have fun the way I want them to have fun. But I guess I just have to accept that. That's part of being human and a friend and et cetera. And I don't know. You know, it takes us back to our status quo. But nothing interesting happened.
1: And it's like, it makes, I, well, I'll, so, so here's what I feel like. I don't know how close we are to the end of the season, but this felt very much like the setup for like the season finale, which is was basically hey remember like you know at one point because they even brought out like when she's uh, when Amy and uh, Bernadette are helping her pick out her dress to go clubbing they find the snowflake which was apparently oh, is right. the, the symbol of their whole relationship and she's like oh yeah that's right he did give me that oh I do kind of miss him so it's like they're it's like they're leading up I don't know the show doesn 't usually yeah, follow we, up we, on things we but... have a
0: myth arc episode
1: <laughs> yeah, or just even or just like the first half of a myth arc episode, just like just setting up the stakes
0: yeah well, and so how about we we play this game for a moment is you know we, we usually you, you know what the best part about this wacky and wild sitcom is you can never see what 's coming because there is no thread, there is no thread through the episodes, you can never see what 's coming, but this time. Let's try to predict what the second half of this will be. Because here's where we're leaving off. Sheldon, I guess I have to accept my friends. Leonard, I'm totally grabbing firm onto Priya's tight bottom, and it's going great. Raj, mm, I'm frustrated that that's happening. And then Penny uh, is going to go and get some, some hot dick just, just to get over Leonard, apparently, even though there's been no indication that's actually been an issue. What? Will, will Penny find a love that makes Leonard jealous? Could that be it? That
1: could, that could certainly be something. Leonard could awkwardly propose to Priya. Isn't that like a sitcom trope, right? The, the I feel like that's the, where it's going. Raising the stakes by him being like, I think it's time for me to pop the question. But then right as he's going in, he like sees Penny one more time or she shows up at the restaurant. Maybe he tries to. You know, it would be a dick move for Le, but also sort of an amazing show of dominance if Leonard were to take Priya to the Cheesecake Factory to try to propose to her.
0: I, uh, I'm pausing because you, just, you triggered within me a memory. I know someone who's having a very dramatic set of relationship circumstances right now, involving uh, in part their on and off again. Partner going out to the same bar with another person as they did, and how they felt that they were played the fool when they when they learned that you know this this other person had been to the the bar with with their partner, and that the 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 regulars that work there were going to recognize the person and 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 look upon them with shame. Like, I, are
1: they in an open relationship? No, or? that's part oh. of the problem.
0: No, and I hear things like that. And I'm like, I would just be so flattered to walk into a bar or restaurant and have anyone even remember who I am. And if they remember me as the person getting fooled around on, I'm thankful that they're taking that investment in my life. You yeah, know,
1: like, that's... It's like, hey, it's Nick. The guy is always getting cut.
0: Yeah. You know, I could maybe I could get some free chicken fingers out of it or something, you know? That's... I, I am not above sympathy cock appetizers. I'm frankly I'm all for it. If I, if if I knew that getting into a relationship right now and then having my partner just getting railed constantly behind me were enough to keep like mozzarella sticks coming my way, so be it. I'll deal with the emotional baggage later. That's fine. The mozzarella sticks are going to solve half that problem right away. I'm going to feel good. I'm going to forget my problems. But yeah, I'll do it. I mean, like I will I don't I'm gonna have to change the sheets a lot. I can't live like that. But uh, yeah. Especially if if it's a classy place that gives you both marinara and ranch <laughs> to dip your 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 fried apps in. Ooh. Okay. I don't remember what else we were talking about. I just I just <laughs> felt so good there for a moment. I just, you know, sometimes I ask myself, what what is it I want from life? What do I want to do? Do I even feel passion for anything? And then I find these moments of clarity where I'm like, I would love just getting constantly cucked for butterfly shrimp. And uh, and then something clicks and I feel good again.
1: Okay. Jesus. (laughs) I, I, I am totally lost the thread of this episode. Yeah, sorry. That was beautiful, man.
0: I just feel like I'm on a different plane now. I know I know what to, to, to move towards in this next stage of my life.
1: God, we should probably talk more about the episode, but, like... Okay, a cu- I got you. A couple of things. Okay. Um, first off, one thing you haven't mentioned so far is, somewhat inexplicably, like, in the sense that they never really... Uh, I don't think they do a good job of justifying it, but there actually is a beat where everyone but Sheldon is hanging out in uh, Raja's apartment, yes. and the guys realize that they missed Sheldon, which would, was cute, and would have been cuter if it had been in any way plausible whatsoever. But Yeah, it, it was strange.
0: Not. No, the, the reminiscing is uh, they're, they're all about to have a drink together, and I believe Priya proposes a toast, and then one of the other nerds is like, Oh, do you actually... No, the toast comes from. It's like yeah, Sheldon would have butted in to tell us that it's because Romans would like put toast in their bowls before drinking it or some shit like that. And Wallowitz is like, mm, I mean, thank you, but I like the way Sheldon tells it better. And It's like when did they? I mean, the, the way the bullying works, you know, they could genuinely love it and be giving Sheldon a hard time because they're all scared of being emotionally vulnerable with each other. But you're right that it it doesn't seem plausible to me that they they are fondly reminiscing on the thing that they are constantly bullying him over and then later on sheldon does exactly that when the word toast comes up again and they seem just as annoyed by it then as ever so but i don't know maybe maybe it's nice to have a consistent source of annoyance even just to have that consistency that reliability
1: yes well in that sense uh, I guess that it, we said there was no through line in this episode, but I guess the closest we get to a through line is people try new things or try to move on and find that they kind of miss the old things maybe, but it's never explicitly stated by anyone. Yeah. Um, in that sense, so continuing our theme of are we sure we're not as much like these characters as we thought, I did actually kind of relate to Sheldon on the whole we're going to go somewhere else instead of having pizza here thing. Mm -hmm. Like I realize it's most of the time when Sheldon does stuff like this, it just looks like OCD to me And this, or even that is, I shouldn't say that that's ableist, but I mean, it just looks like something he's making a big deal out of something. And I can't even understand why anyone would think it is important. So I just chalk it up to him being obsessive and annoying. But in this particular instance, I thought, A, he might have had a point, which is, if we've really had this tradition that evolves over the last, like, eight years, shouldn't we at least have, like, a conversation about what it means that we're not doing it anymore? But mostly that is just to say that as, as a socially anxious person, I really relate to his whole quandary here. Because he's basically saying, look, I want to hang out with all of you. But I don't want to do it in any environment. I only feel safe in environments where I have some kind of control. And you're asking me to give that up. And I feel inexplicably and irrationally like if I do that, something very bad is going to happen. And that is something I have, in fact, felt many a time.
0: And when you felt that way, did you then take over whatever space you were sharing with another person to invite some loose acquaintances over that you've never any, expressed any actual interest in.
1: No, that's bananas. That would make things much worse, right? So that's where the comparison breaks down because it's like, oh, my friends are having fun elsewhere. I must fill the void with complete strangers is, is wrong. Although I will say, again, if I had invited some people over and one of them was like, you know what, why don't I just go back to my car and get the karaoke machine that I carry with me all the time and bring it back in here and hook up to the TV and we can all get wasted and rock out all night long? I would have been like, I, you have been hiding your light under a bushel. My, I've been waiting my whole life to meet someone as awesome as you. I I made the right choice after all. Fuck those other people. Karaoke till dawn.
0: On the one hand, I'm, I'm glad you, you feel that way, but on the other I'm imagining that scenario and being like, oh yeah, Kripke, cool, go, get get the karaoke machine, that sounds great. And then the second he leaves the the apartment, I, I board up the door behind him so he cannot return. But I say that also knowing that for like two or so years of my life, my friends and I would routinely play rock band and guitar hero together and scream our lungs out. And I guess... That is essentially karaoke, and I loved that. So I don't know where I stand. I guess the quality of the people is what
1: matters most to me in that situation. I mean, they're all good dudes, right? Like, the, in fact, they are in many ways better people. Well, Kripke is, is kind of a jerk, but Zack and the other guy, the comic book guy, the very little amount of information we have on them makes them seem at least as nice and as... And as kind as the people we are, we are forced to include in the main crew every week. If this show were about them instead, there is no evidence in my mind that it would be an inferior show. Yeah, I wish
0: that they had more regularity in the series, and maybe you know, instead of having random, totally throwaway single episode B plots, you know, like with a sitcom, everything is essentially supposed to remain status quo so people can jump in and jump out without missing a whole lot. But it would be nice to have these side characters maybe have arcs in the background, like some good B C plot stuff. I want to know how Kripke's terrible experiment where he's trying to build himself a cybernetic body is going. I want to know how um oh I can't remember I I can't believe I can't remember her name anymore. Dar it was Darlene and Roseanne Uh, the, 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 the very dry sex friend that Leonard had.
1: Yeah, I know you're talking. Well, I guess me knowing who you're talking about doesn't help the audience, does it?
0: Can you not remember her name either? Leslie Winkle! I want to know how her scheme of pay-for-play sex going up through the research chain works. That was gibberish. Those words, that was, was, was a random selection. Um, but things like that. So, something to keep me more invested other than at the very end of an episode being like, oh, Penny, don't forget
1: that Leonard got
0: you a snowflake once.
1: <sighs> there are shows, I mean, well, there are plenty of shows that do that, that give you like, great Arrested Development comes to mind, Parks and Rec, Like all of those shows. It's like every time you are reintroduced to a background character, they've got something a little different going on.
0: Right, um,
1: not this show, though, so no. far anyway, although we do find out that now what's his name is now living in the comic book shop, so I wonder if that will bear
0: right anymore. yeah, Stuart says fruit. he's living in the comic book shop he runs due to his financial situation, uh, which I don't know that sounds kind of like the life i uh I wouldn't mind it, but is there anything else about this episode we want to talk about it's this isn't anything. To build on, I do just want to say that uh, when the the bros are hanging out, uh, they're all introducing themselves. And one of the tidbits that that comes up in their conversation is that uh, Zach, the the pleasant dummy, admits that when he uh, ejaculates, he shouts, holy moly. And that's a fact I love about him. And I feel like I need to develop a trademark shout for when, when I, too, reach my peak. Because well, right now, I usually just say, I'm sorry, and slink out of the room. I need to overcome that.
1: I gotta say, the way you, the way you, you gushed with excitement when you remembered Leslie Winkle's name uh-huh. sort of made me think that you should just, whenever you're on the verge of finishing, just shout Leslie Winkle, you know, without, to whoever you're with and see how that works.
0: I am going to start doing that. And <laughs> if anyone has a problem with it, well, they can take a hike, and I'll be so alone. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Like, anything else you want to get into?
1: All right. Because basically, I'll, I'll tease this because I feel like this conversation deserves to be in an episode where I can point more at, like, what I'm trying to talk about. Okay. But I was watching – I've been going back and rewatching Community, a show we often compare to The Big Bang Theory. Um, and I don't want to, like, get super into it now except to say that – Watching community reminds me of how, like, I like jokes to be written. And I can, I feel like I'm on the verge of being able to articulate exactly why the jokes in community are better than the jokes in the Big Bang Theory. So you're
0: working on your goof scholarship, and you are prepared to start giving us some essays on the topic.
1: I'm I'm working like it's probably not going to be that interesting, and it's probably going to be something that you've already figured out. But uh, it was it would be good to have like an example in this episode. But not but. much
0: funny happened in this episode. That's... But they didn't
1: even they didn't even try to make any jokes in this yeah. episode for the most part. It's hard
0: to it's hard to point to a bad joke because it's hard to point to a joke,
1: which is also weird, right? I mean, if nothing else, it's weird that the show makes so little attempt most of the time. To make, like, actual jokes. Yeah.
0: I mean, I thought that was actually notable in this episode. The the distinct lack of jokes. Because, you know, we can talk about whether or not we think a joke is high quality or funny or anything else like that. But, you know, you can recognize that something is a joke. In this episode, like, just no. Like, characters would say wacky or wild things, you know, like about Bernadette wanting to leave bite marks on someone's ass and...
1: Amy uh, Farrah Fowler apparently masturbates with an electric toothbrush. Yeah, that, she, that like, she
0: calls Gerard.
1: But, like, there's, there's, there's no setup or punchline there. No. She's just like, ah. They're, they're I, just saying sometimes when I get things. stressed out, I break out the electric toothbrush. Yeah. So, Thanks. Good to know.
0: So, yeah, and this, and this is not even me trying to be critical or shitting on the show, even though it's hard to not explain it or take it that way. But, yeah, this is just an episode that just didn't have jokes. What do you do? You know,
1: <sighs> not we... like we have jokes. No, I no. guess if we want to be fair, it's like the show is, is about as, about as funny as we manage to be most of the time. So
0: yeah, we really broke even on this episode <laughs> with that. Let's move on to our nerd thing of the week. I have one loaded and
1: ready. to Oh, go. Oh wait, no, I have one more. Of course I forgot the most important thing. Oh, although Jesus. I'm... Oh Jesus. Oh Jesus. I'm cautious to bring it up. Because... It's too late. You can't not bring it up now, Kyle. Well, I just, you certainly I, can't not bring need, it up after that need, introduction. You need to watch yourself, Nick, is all I'm saying. As we know, this episode features a celebrity cameo. And as we all know, Nick is possessed by an irrational hatred of celebrity cameos. Kyle. Which is to say whenever someone appears as a celebrity cameo on The Big Bang Theory, he feels an irrational need to tear them down. And you know what? I've, I've given him shit for it in the past, but in retrospect, probably fair. Neil deGrasse Tyson, fair game compared to some people. Uh, George Takei, fair game compared to some people. But so help me God, if you talk shit about the person who appeared for no real reason or purpose at the end of this episode, but still just poked his head in the door, if you talk shit about uh, the preeminent... Sagacious LeVar Burton, I will have to hunt you down and, and kill you for sport and honor. There, there will be no choice. I know, I know that you like saying evil, racist things about the people on the show, particularly once we turn the recording off. Uh, also about Mr. Rogers, which is weird, because he's never even been on the show, yet you really give him the business. And I don't even think he's Jewish, so I don't know why you keep bringing up you know, the Rothschild stuff about Mr. Rogers, but... LeVar Burton is sacrosanct, and we do not talk shit about him, okay? Can we agree about that? Kyle, I have
0: two responses. One, you say that I irrationally hate these celebrity cameos incorrect. My hatred for these cameos is incredibly reasonable. Uh, but with LeVar Burton, I did not hate it at all. I was happy he was there, but I did stop as I had that happy feeling and think, I guess I guess he's the only pass. I guess he's the one. <laughs> he's he's the one. <laughs> but I think that's also because he's just he's just being a dude. It's he's Lavar Burton and he shows up and he's like, I'm here to act and be my part. I'm Lavar Burton. I'm playing Lavar Burton. I'm in I'm now. I'm a professional. My job is done. He's not like any of these other nerd world cameos who they show up and they're like, Hey, they like, rently realign or two. And I just want I was part of the Star Wars defense. And you're like, Get the fuck out of here. Nor is it like George Takei who's like, Hello, I'm a parody of my real life. So I was like, Get out of here, buddy. LeVar Burton did a good job. I'm happy he was on the episode. And also okay. the reason he was on the episode is that Sheldon reached out to him over Twitter for the, the boys hangout. And, oh, hilarious that Sheldon would do that. Ha, ha, ha. Of course LeVar Burton's not going to show up. And then LeVar Burton
1: shows up. All right. Now we can move on. What's your third thing of the week? Okay. so But please don't do the thing you normally do where now once we stop recording you proceed to say incredibly racist things about LeVar Burton. That would I'm make still me probably going to do that.
0: It's not. It's not that I plan on doing it. It's just I know that I will not be able to help myself. No. Um, for my recommendation, it's it's inspired by a, a gift I received. Uh, the previous guest host, Charlie. Um, they and I got each other Christmas presents that were both delivered to my address, and then they were both on the same day stolen off of my porch, <laughs> and so we we had to reorder the gifts for each other to a different address where they were not stolen. And this means that now some some burglar out there is walking around wearing a custom t-shirt based off the 1989 movie Dial Code Santa Claus, a.k.a. Deadly Games, and a comic book uh, by Derf Backderf uh, based on the, the Kent State shootings. So that all brings me to the, the the gift for me was the the, the derf book and my recommendation is not this book because i haven't finished it yet about the one about kent state a previous comic book he did called punk rocks and Tra- punk rock and trailer parks and the the title pretty accurately describes what most of the book is about it, it focuses on a few semi punk rock dweeby teens Growing up in Akron, Ohio, I believe is where Akron is, in the in the I can't remember it's either the late '70s or early '80s, as all of these early weird punk rock groups were were starting to become a thing and make their their rounds in in the the underground touring circuit, and so I think they see like Devo plays at one point. Um, Oh, I can't remember the, the 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 band leader's name. Something something in the Blockheads. I
1: was going with... to say I'm looking at a at a screenshot of a panel and it appears that uh Blitzkrieg Bop is playing.
0: Oh yeah, so the Ramones. But anyway, and so it's it's about growing up in that environment where you're it's a small town, you know, if you if we stay there, you're probably not going to do much other than work at some shop or whatever in the small town. If you don't have bigger plans to get out of the, the town, and if you're not particularly ambitious, what do you, and it's like growing up in a small town, and you're like, well, this is just my life. Do I stay here, or do I explore? And also about being weird in a small town. And and one of the main characters, um, the Baron, he's called, is a very... I, I He's he's kind of the main character, but he's he's the the very unselfconscious of the nerds who is later embraced by all of the the upcoming punk rock weirdos for his unabashed bizarreness, including his art project he's working on, which is to record all sorts of various farts on a tape recorder to archive for reasons that I don't think are ever clear. But I don't know. I'll, I'll stop going on about it much longer other than to say that it might be my favorite comic book it's i don't know it it it, it taps into like i think the same kind of feeling that i had growing up in a relatively small town in montana and then you know even though i grew up like in a period 20 or 30 years after the the events of the comic book um similarly going through that experience of what where am i going what am i doing um, I'm with the, the the new breed of punk rock weirdos, <laughs> and uh, trying to oh, figure out what to do with my own weirdness.
1: So uh, I'm just for continuity's sake. This is the uh, this is the same guy who wrote the comic book. I believe you recommended before. My friend Dahmer.
0: Yes, which that also crossed my mind. I do. Th- I think I like this a little bit more than my friend Dahmer. But I was thinking if also. I guess re-recommending my friend Dahmer because it is still a very good book. Because the the author trivia that's impossible not to bring up happened to go to high school with Jeffrey Dahmer and was like acquaintances with him. And so yeah, the other the other book, my friend Dahmer, is about Jeffrey Dahmer growing up and what his life was like. Is what is as, as much as the author knew about it. But yeah, that's not my recommendation today. Today I recommend punk rock and uh, trailer parks. Kyle, very your good. turn.
1: Uh, I don't know, man. I've been struggling. Uh, well, I know I'm going to recommend, but I'm mostly, I'm mostly digging back through the recommendations for s- the reason I'm recommending this, uh, even though it's really good, mostly has to do with it feels topically appropriate. Both to our discussion about Heil uh, Honey, I'm home, and also just some weird shit that's been happening in the news that no one, you know, who uh, everybody who is listening to this in the next week will know what I'm talking about, but everybody yes. el- everybody else... It's been a weird time. A bunch of crazy people attacked washington d c in sort of a you know as part of a a riot incited by the President of the United States. I don't know how else to put it than that. Uh, we don't have to get into it more than that, but anyway, one of my favorite movies of all time is a movie called "To Be or Not to Be," which is directed by Ernst Lubbish, who is I think generally considered to be one of the great comedy writers and directors of all time. Um, What's interesting about this movie is, first off, it is about, like, a Jewish acting troupe trying to survive in Germany, like, as World War II is... Oh, I'm sorry. They're trying to survive in Poland. So they're in Poland. They're putting on both regular plays, you know, like performances of Shakespeare, which is why the title is what it is. But they're also, um, you know, putting on things that are critical of adolf hitler and right in the middle of their run warp poland gets invaded by the nazis so it's like oh we're a bunch of jews who have been openly criticizing the nazis and now the nazis are here what the fuck do we do so that's an interesting setup in its own right what's also interesting is um it came out in 1942 so it's only set like three years after after like or only came out three years after it set when the war was far from decided at that point and um, and so in that way it it has like a weird energy and honesty about just like how scary the Nazis are um, that frankly you don 't see in a lot of World War II stuff that came out even a little bit later but finally it 's really fucking it 's both amazing and it 's funny, like basically this group of actors through a combination of, like, cleverness and also just real fucking brass balls, manage to, to, they get away. And, you know, the movie has, it has basically a happy ending that's absurd, but also incredibly, like, well-staged and funny. Like, it's one of those films that, even though it came out, you know, 80 years ago, like, I watched it, like, four months ago, and it, it's incredible how well the humor in the comedy holds up it was remit there's actually it was so popular among some people thought it was so funny that, that uh, they re- Mel Brooks remade it he basically made an almost scene for well I shouldn't call it a scene for scene but he made a plot point for plot point remake of the whole movie that's also very good but not, I don't think it's quite as primal as the original so I would recommend that if you want something that's like both really funny but also like a giant fuck you to the to Nazis in the Third Reich
0: hmm and the, what was the
1: name of that again? It's called To Be or Not To Be.
0: Okay. I don't know. I don't know if I can support your uh, your Nazi-loving agenda here, Kyle. I'm sorry.
1: It's funny. I, yeah, I know you're you're just pulling my leg, but it's it's really – it's about – it's an anti-authoritarian film because the point of the movie, as basically as the actors discover, is that Nazis are – like they're horrible and they're evil, but they're also really dumb. Like you can basically <laughs> – like, if you if, if you can just convince them that you have, like, a direct line to the Fuhrer, that they'll basically... They'll be so scared to, like, look like they're not a loyal Nazi that they'll basically do whatever you tell them to do. And they exploit that multiple times throughout the film.
0: Still, I just don't like the way that you're sharing Nazi media.
1: I feel I feel actually much more comfortable about this than about the fact that I opened by, say, by talking about Heil Honey, i home <laughs> this you, week.
0: How do you mean? <laughs> That's yeah i guess we do that was, have...
1: that was just a that was just a matter of of weird timing but i still yeah. as i was thinking about it, i was like this i hope we don't get any new listeners from the wrong crowd
0: yeah we do have a suspicious amount of nazi content this episode even though it's completely unrelated to the big bang theory episode we watched man i don't know that's
1: look for our new account on parlor later this week
0: yeah that's I feel like we need to wrap this up and do some demographic research. <laughs> see see how many hot red buzzwords we can put in here to attract a, a bunch of disaffected young men who are stinging from a embarrassing whooping at the well. Actually, not a whooping at the Capitol from a finger wagging at the Capitol, but
1: the whooping will come later. These half these people will never be employable again. That's the whooping. Yeah, it's
0: called good there. I guess
1: I don't know, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Boy, it's a shame that the Big Bang Theory is not the best lens through which to look at the the collapse of our American society, isn't it? It's originally met and we were like, how are we going to talk about the increasing radicalization of the right? Going with the Big Bang Theory might have been a mistake.